Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 305, recorded June 15th, 2011. Ghostery. Security Now is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or TV instantly. All streamed directly to you, saving you time, money, and hassle. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. And by MailRoute.info. MailRoute is a secure hosted service that filters virus and spam for companies of any size. Find out more and save 10% by visiting MailRoute.info. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security and privacy online. And what would Security Now be without the man who has been uh, uh, riding the horse at the helm, skippering this ship since, uh, for what, six years now? (laughs) Watching it slowly sink. No, 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 yeah. not at all, Mr. Steve. Oh, the industry. Gibson. I mean, the industry. The industry's been getting worse. You know, it's so oh. funny. I mean, so we started this in uh, uh, what was it, two thousand six, two thousand five, two thousand six, and at the time, um, it wasn't as bad as it is now. Was it, it really wasn't? I mean, we didn't have a an attacks and breaches section until recently. And now I'm thinking, how do we ever survive without one? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's just, it's nuts. Well, when we started, it was really um, a show to teach you about uh, topics and concepts in security to to talk about things going on. But we didn't do a lot of news. Now it's at least half news because there's so much going on. Yeah, and interesting stuff. What is our topic of the day today? I see ghostery. What is that? Yeah, um, this is something that a number of our listeners had pointed me to that I had on my list of things to track down, and it is very cool. I I would describe it as a comprehensive website surveillance monitoring and blocking add-on. The nice thing is it is multi-platform and multi-browser, so supports IE, Chrome, um, Internet Explorer, Chrome, Firefox, and Safari, on on all platforms and it essentially we've talked about cookies extensively and of course even web bugs of different sorts you know all these things that track us so i don't not sure why they call it ghostery but it started off initially just being a monitoring tool but its users said oh you know you're showing us all the things that are following us around and tracking us like you go to msnbc and it's just like oh my goodness there's like a list of eight different different third parties which are participating at msnbc's behest tracking us and ghostry makes all of that visible gives us lots of information about it but now also allows us to block that so that's our topic for this week i'm going to introduce our listeners to ghostry and talk about its features and and what i found using it um and we got a big errata whoops at the top of the show uh 
about SD cards Uh-oh. and right protecting them, following up from last week's discussion. And I actually have probably the most controversial Spinrite uh uh, testimonial we've ever had. So we're going to have some fun this week. It'll be fun. And Mark Pelletier, who's in our uh, chat room, just told me that uh, uh, the Futures in Biotech show, which still feels to me like one of our newer shows, is five years old as of yesterday. So <laughs> we've been doing this a while, Steve. It's funny how this uh, has how this network has grown and changed. And, you know, uh, we, we were talking a little bit off the air about the new studio and the capabilities of the new studio. And uh, what will be interesting is that security now won't look so very different. In fact, it, it, it will pretty much look exactly yeah, the same. Because I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be right here in front of my bookcase with lights blinking behind me. As will I, because we're, re- we're duplicating this, this, this particular studio uh, over there. So people tuning in in a month, which is about when we will uh, start this uh, change... We'll say, hmm, looks same to me. <laughs> and that's kind of what we want. We won't, don't want to discombobulate you unnecessarily. It'll only be on the shows that have more, that need more production value than this show that we'll have that capability. And you may surprise, we may surprise you once in a while. We may have graphics fly in from the left. <laughs> or monkeys. <laughs> or monkeys. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we get to the, uh, the security updates, because I see you have a few, including that uh, errata, and the security news... Uh, and the attacks and breaches. <laughs> the big attacks and breaches section. Holy cow, it gets bigger all the time. Let me quickly uh, tell everybody about Netflix.com. Have we yet gotten you to sign up for Netflix? No. <laughs> Good. I'm going to use you as the guinea pig. When we get Steve Gibson using Netflix, <laughs> then we'll know. Twitter happened, so anything's possible. <laughs> we did. We got him using Twitter. And he yeah. poo-pooed it for a long time. So I think you know about uh, Netflix. It gives you a chance to watch thousands of TV episodes and movies instantly when you want them. And I think that that is just such – it's hard to describe how that changes uh, your viewing habits. Uh, you don't have to think ahead. You don't have to make a trip to the video store. You don't have to plan what you're going to watch tonight. I literally – decide when i sit down in front of the tv i use a roku box it works great with the roku box but it'll work with a, a playstation 3 a mac a pc an xbox 360 a nintendo wii um apple tv i keep forgetting to mention it works great with apple tv last night jennifer and i were sitting around we were saying we kind of want something slow and simple oh doc martin this great british television show we just love he leaves his london practice and moves to uh the, the the seaside and it's just so great uh but then sometimes you know i'll, I'll say oh, i'm in the mood for a romantic comedy how about the american president or i want horror how about sci-fi let's watch blade runner tonight i wonder which version of blade runner uh this is um is this the yes yeah, the theatrical cut so this is this is what i love about netflix you can have felt lord of the rings you can have so much fun without planning your life, watching a movie you want. There are thousands. I don't know what the total count, but it seems like thousands and thousands of movies. New movies are added every day. Ooh, Pulp Fiction. I was just thinking about uh, uh, Samuel Jackson and that new book that he read. And I was thinking, boy, I'd like to see Pulp Fiction again. See, you can just do it. You can begin watching a movie or show on one device, finish on a different device. Uh, you can watch on your laptop or your iPod or, uh, or your iPad. Or the iPad app, by the way, is really slick. Android, Some Android phones now, it's all available to you. I want you to give it a try if you haven't yet. I was, I'm was i going through the... Rego, re- is, is, it, is it six bucks a month? Is that what I heard? Seven ninety nine a month. Okay. For I all of that. this. So, See what I mean? So how, do I, how, how do I get credit for uh-huh. my own show? 
Well, it's one 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 size fits all. It's uh, Netflix.com slash twit. So, but we'll Wait, know. No, we'll know. Oh, oh, okay. So, so it's not. There's no security now version. No, no. Just Netflix.com slash twit. However, um, when you do it, you get 30 days free, so you can try before you buy and see how you like it. You don't have to commit yet, Steve. I'm going to let you off the hook. Netflix.com slash twit. I'm going to watch the show right now on the laptop, and then when I get home. You, it'll pick up exactly where you left off. It is so sweet. And the quality is superb. Netflix.com slash twit. Try it free for 30 days. See, we're winning him over, folks. Uh, you well, go I, ahead. I, I'm just going to watch this Showtime uh, uh, show been, right now. I've been playing with HBO Go, and I've got a buddy who's just fallen in love with it. And so I'm thinking, okay, if I show him Netflix.com, he'll, I mean, because, you know, HBO Go is cool, but you only get HBO stuff. And here's Well, he's like, already paying for HBO, so you might as well have HBO Go, but right. then you can get all, get a whole bunch more stuff. This exactly. is this is full screen. This is what it looks like. I'm Actually, you can't tell because you're watching on streaming. And it's just not expensive. It's super bucks quality. A month. <laughs> Why not, right? Netflix.com slash twit. Try it today. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Steve okay, Gibson so will give us the many, latest. Many of our very, very astute listeners immediately jumped on me via social networking connections. I think it was mostly uh, Twitter, Twitter saying that uh, what I had said about SD cards was wrong. And in retrospect, it was obvious that what I had said was wrong. Um, so I wanted to immediately correct that. An SD card's little write protect switch, which they all have as part of the spec for an SD card, as I did say, is just a piece of plastic. So in that sense, it's exactly like diskettes were in the old days, where you're relying not on electronics in the SD card, but in a, sense, a sensing switch in the SD card holder to honor the write protect request that the card is making via the position of that little bit of plastic. So the reader is 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 the is the key here. Exactly. So well, we so said is, that, Steve. We said that a no, properly well, configured reader would honor it, and but you'd be yeah, possible to get I, around. I was it. talking about an electrical connection uh. that would be made, and I, and the for example, I was I was. I was correct in the USB side, which is to say, since USB, do, the spec doesn't have write protect, and there's there's like no means for enforcing it the way there is on an SD card, you know, the USB devices are absolutely going to be an electrical connection because that's the only way to do it. But in the SD spec, they spec it as a, a switch which is readable and it's, it can be a function of the device driver to honor it. So you really do want to verify that write protect is being honored by your system. And I would argue that if in, if in fact, as I have been told, although I did not pursue it, that it is a device driver sensible, that is the device driver can sense the setting of the switch and then choose or not choose to honor it. I know that's the case, at least in some cameras, because some people talked about how they've got right, they've got firmware which they can provide on an SD card in some high-end cameras, and the camera can write to the card with the SD card set to write protected, that is to read-only mode. So, overall, a better solution if if this is gonna is gonna be what you're gonna do, I, I would say trust a USB device. And the SD card advice is probably not well, except 
except in the case of an SD to USB adapter, where you'd want to verify that it is that the adapter supports write protection, but then it's not in the device driver. It's not an option for the device driver to um, enable it or not. That is, pay attention to it or not. That would only be the case if the SD slot is is actually hosted by the, the by the by the PC. If you're using an adapter, then the adapter's electronics, if it supports write protection, it would be enforcing it there. So that that bit of advice that we offered last week is correct with the with the strong caveat that you verify the adapter you're using does support SD write protection. So I wanted to make Good. sure we got that corrected. Good. Um uh, we're just past the second Tuesday of the month, and we didn't break a record this month for Microsoft's Patch Tuesday, but we're right up there near the top. They fixed 34 security vulnerabilities, 11 of which were in IE, um, and that spanned 16 different updates. Um, more than half of those were critical, meaning by Microsoft's terminology that they are wormable, uh, which means that they require little or no user action in order to be exploited. Um, and the rest were information disclosure and, and privilege escalation and so forth. So, you know, sort of our generic large um, monthly update. And I read somewhere something I really hadn't noticed before, but a, a commentator was saying that Microsoft tends to alternate bug sizes so this was a big patch tuesday and if this this observation holds true uh, last month was we know that it was small but that would say that july will be small and august will be large so well we'll, we'll see if that's the case i don't know why that would would necessarily be but we certainly do see that microsoft has very small ones every so often uh, not so this time um java we've been talking about a lot recently because so, for example, in the case of Microsoft's own um, intelligence that they've collected from their rootkit scanning and malware removal tool that we talked about, um, they talked about how I think it was eight out of ten of the top vulnerabilities had gotten into users' machines through through Java vulnerabilities. Well, Oracle has just updated Java to update uh, twenty six, so it's Java six update twenty six. Um, if you are using Java and, you know, we've talked about if, if you know you don't need it, by all means, remove it. If you do need it, and there are an increasing number of instances where I'm seeing things require Java to be there. So I'm beginning to feel like, okay, we're losing the battle there. Although I did note that um, NoScript is able to control and corral Java also. which So it's one another one of the things that you'd want to have disabled on sites you don't trust. Since, as I mentioned last week, since scripting is required to invoke Java, a Java applet anyway... Um, and, you know, for example, I've had to enable JavaScript in order to allow a Java applet to run on a site where I'm visiting for the first time. Um, NoScript is also your friend in that regard. Um, they've fixed 17 vulnerabilities in this update. I had 25 before. Now I'm at 26. So, you know, if you've got Java, you really want to follow up on this because it's it's a serious way that that is being exploited now to get malware into our machines they fixed 17 vulnerabilities all of which 
would allow code to be executed remotely without authentication. So these were big, bad holes. Um, and nine of the vulnerabilities of that 17 were given a 10 out of 10 in terms of security risk, and that's Oracle's own ranking. Um, and this update's available for Windows, Linux, and Solaris. Apple users will have to have a will have to wait until Apple issues an update to address the flaws due to Apple's relationship with Sun and and now with Oracle. Um, and, and I have to say, I'm still annoyed that I have to say no to the Yahoo toolbar that they're trying to stick in my browser and in my machine. That's just annoying. When I'm, you know, I'm being forced to update Java because of security problems, and they're trying to, you know, hope that I don't remember to turn that thing off because it's on <laughs> by default. That just that really seems wrong. Um, also, for Windows users, um, and I, I didn't look to, over on my Mac to see, but you can check the c- current version because there's a Java applet that you can get to on the control panel. So you know, start control panel, then open the little Java applet. And there's a button you can you can click to do an about to see what version you've got. The other thing is Java does is willing to check for updates, and for some reason it's set to a month. And and I thought you know Java being as a big a problem as as it is, even though they're not, even though Sun isn't updating it frequently. Maybe if something really, really bad happened, they would. So I'd like to have my computer checking more than monthly, which yeah. is the default. So I changed it. You, you can you, there, There's a tab there. You can change how frequently it checks. And I'm having it checked daily because it's a little, just a tiny little ping that's going to go out to, to Oracle um, to see if there's a newer version. So why not do it more often? I would say monthly, if you've got Java and it's enabled, it's probably not often enough. So, so, so I Googled Java update. There is a Windows. Is this what you're talking about? This is a Windows program that checks. But does this only check monthly? I think this um, checks all the time. Well, uh, people can go to java.com. So java.com is where you get this. But for Windows, it it does installing Java puts a little applet in the control that panel okay. that allows you to get to it. That must be this Java update. Okay. Yeah. So last week we talked about Wednesday was the 8th, which was uh, World IPv6 Day. And... Um, Mostly it went okay. As I said, I would have more news this week, and that's what's happening. Um, there were little implementation glitches, things that the, the, the kind of things that people would iron out and will iron out when, when they finally switch over. For example, some sites that were supporting IPv6, when they see that you're trying to get to them on what they consider a mobile platform, like a phone or an iPad, for example, they will redirect your browser over to their M instead of www.something.com. It'll be m.something.com. I know I've seen that, for example, with with Twitter and with uh, various news sites. They'll, they'll they'll give you a simplified, streamlined mobile version that's you know more meant to, for a, a smaller screen. Well, there were some oopses that occurred on IPv6 day because the M versions of their sites were IPv4 only. And so they had upgraded their www.whatever.com to IPv6. And so if an IPv6 user went there, 
they would be redirected to the M dot version over IPv6, and that wasn't even available. So it was like, oops, that you know that didn't work. So some mobile people found that sites they were trying to get to over IPv6 didn't work. Um, there's, for example, there's something called MTU path discovery, MTU's maximum transmission unit, which is basically packet size. And, and the way the internet works, packets will be fragmented by if they encounter a router that is unable to forward the packet to the next router without breaking it up in smaller pieces. For example, the, the router will know that the that the link that it's using is only able to handle, only able to carry packets of a certain size because of the limitations, for example, either at its end or at the other end. So it'll fragment packets. But there are instances where packets have to be sent at a smaller size. So there's IP, the, the, the ICMP protocol has always had this notion of path discovery. That is a means for, a means whereby a router will send back an, uh, an ICMP packet to the source of, of a packet, telling it, whoops, you need to make your packet smaller in order to get them through without them being fragmented. And in some cases, fragmentation can't be used. So, apparent, so there were some failures there also a, a week ago during IPv6 day, where apparently some, some the filters somewhere on the internet we're blocking the V6 version of this ICMP MTU path discovery packet. So they weren't ever getting back to the sender. The sender didn't receive the news that it had to reduce the size of its packets outgoing. And consequently, people were unable to access sites that were, that were like caught up in this problem. So, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the IPv6 traffic was way up for that day, but only relative to regular IPv6 traffic, which is almost non-existent. So, yes, it was like many times more, but still minuscule. Um, however, Facebook did put up a posting saying that, you know, their test went very well. And I think it was 0.03% of their users came to Facebook over IPv6 which was a million users that day. Isn't that so, funny? You could be such a low percent and such a high number. <laughs> yes. If you're something like Facebook, that's the case. And one of the other observations was that a huge amount was tunneled IPv6. We talked about tunneling IPv6 the other day. The idea being that you could encapsulate IPv6 protocol in IPv4 packets in order to route it across the IPv4 internet. And that's what still the, the a vast amount of traffic had to go through tunneling, which tells us that major portions of the internet are still to this day, as we're counting down the end of IPv4 space, still unable to transit IPv6 traffic. So, I mean, we're, we're really not here yet. Also, and finally, a few participants, such as, for example, Xbox.com, had everything go so well that they're keeping IPv6 addresses in DNS. Wow. That, and that's actually the way, that that's the way sites like 
Xbox.com and Facebook and Google and Yahoo and others. That's the way they did this was they added IPv6 DNS to their existing IPv4 DNS so that a query for DNS would receive IPv6 records in addition to IPv4, thus advertising the fact that here's, if you want IPv6, here's our 128-bit address for accessing us. And Xbox.com said, yeah, we're going to leave it because it all worked really well. So that's cool. Um, I did get some listeners telling me about a site which probably happened or at least got some news just recently called Encipher.it, as in Encipher It, clever name, in, in the .it top-level domain. It uses bookmarklets for, or and offers bookmarklets for IE, Firefox, and Chrome, which performs an in-browser AES encryption of text that you that you paste in. So it's sort of an add-on, for example, for web-based mail. You could you could put in a bunch of stuff that you want to encrypt and then mark it and give it a passphrase and it will do an in-place encryption. Now, it's cool, but there's one caution that I have, and this is not something I have pursued yet, but I intend to, and that is that as I understand it, bookmarklets run in the context of the site that you're visiting. And it's one of the reasons why I'm a little cautious of the gizmo you use, Leo. I can't remember the name of it now, but you, you, you'll know. Um, the, 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 the thing you use for generating passwords uh, based on the sites you're visiting. Um, help me out here. Last pass. Uh, no, 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 no. It's something that that you that you. Oh, Super Gen Pass, you mean? Super Gen Pass. Yeah, 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 yeah. I use that. I still use that, but I do the padding that you now recommend for with haystacking. Ah, okay, good. Because there's there's some concern about Super Gen Pass's security, in as much as it is similarly a bookmarklet based yeah. deal. It's JavaScript. And, and and what I've seen is the claims that it, that an untrustworthy site can compromise its security. That is, bookmarklets run in the context of the site you're visiting. So, you know, I would trust Google, but there are, you know, TNO people who perhaps wisely trust no one because but, if... But if, could, they, could they reverse hack? So, so what happens? What they'll see, would they see my master password? Because that would be the only risk there. Yes, potentially. Okay. Yeah, okay. they they have access to the script, as I understand it, which has access to your password. So again, well, it's not. I don't. I, I haven't had a chance to research it fully, but I did want to let people know that you know if they're wanting to do encryption, this is it's a cool idea. But you are trusting the site you're visiting, and you're also trusting that nobody has inserted any scripting on that page. So you want to be doing it over HTTPS for sure as well. So and I'm and I intend to pursue this because I'm I'm interested in finding out. What the what the security dangers of bookmarklets are? That's that would be a great topic for a yeah. podcast. So and, and then if I add piece, padding, arbitrary padding, and it could be the same on each site, that's going to obviate their ability to figure out what's going on. Yes, they would not be seeing that. Yes. 
Um, uh, also, a bunch of people noted that uh, this hit the news, the security news this week, that LinkedIn, Foursquare, and Netflix had been found by a security auditing firm to be storing their passwords for Android phones. And we're not sure about iPhones, but they, but all these all the same companies offer iPhone apps as well. We're storing their passwords in plain text text files and probably so, sending them in the clear. I would guess. I wonder. It's what's not clear. Um, Foursquare has since updated their Android application, and I just had to shake my head. The idea that that in this day and age applications could be that dumb i mean could just be that that lackadaisical about their users security and now someone might say well okay but you know what's the big deal about my username and password for netflix except that we do have the problem that many people reuse username and password elsewhere and so you really don't want you know some some compromise to get a hold of that information out of your phone and and see if they're able to log in. Well, first of all, you probably don't want them logging in your Netflix account or any other account. <laughs> they could watch my movies or LinkedIn or or whatever. But so, yeah, I mean, so, some of the. But you're, I think that would be the bigger risk is if you use the same password everywhere, which I don't. Yeah. And yeah. people should stop doing that in general. Yep, and I'll have something to say about that before long too. Uh, IE and Firefox are both losing market share to Chrome and Safari, which are both gaining market share. Hmm. I just thought it, it. I would. I saw a nice little blurb. I thought I would t- uh, just sort of give us an update on that. With um, even though um, I okay, we have new versions of IE nine and Firefox version four, <laughs> soon to be version five. Um, Firefox users are upgrading from their three versions up to four. IE users largely are not. Uh, we're not seeing much rapid adoption of IE9. Um, most IE users are staying with 8. And 10% of IE users are still on IE6. So, which Microsoft is beginning to get upset about. And, and was as we talked about previously, making a beginning to launch a campaign to get people off of IE6. So, at the moment, IE is still the majority browser. It has 54 0.27% of market share. Firefox is in number two place at 21.7. Chrome is in third place at 12.5. And Safari is at seven and a quarter percent. Um, and Opera dropped a bit. Uh, they're down at 2%. Um, but what this means is Chrome is currently the only browser now seeing consistent month-to-month gains. So Chrome's share is coming at the expense of every other browser. Um, Firefox users are holding on. They're loyal, as, as I am. Um, but, you know, people who are adopting Chrome are leaving uh, IE and, and Opera. And, and Safari's share is gaining just because of Mac, um, you know, Mac market share gaining that brings Safari along with it. So uh, I thought those were some interesting statistics. And one last little bit of security news. Um, it turns out that the new Nissan Leaf, which is their, the Nissan EV, is sending its location constantly. Uh, it comes with a GSM cellular connection to the internet. What's one of the sort of built-ins for the car, which provides 
um, voluntary te- voluntary telemetry information to uh, Nissan, um, and also, for example, is used to provide to like to update the in-car map with the location of new charging stations as they become available. And there's some like wacky competitive driver rankings where you can see who's able to like drive and get the greatest elect you know battery mileage. And so there you can be you can participate in a network and to to compete with drivers to see who can you know be softest on the gas pedal and economize the most on electricity but it also offers RSS feeds that is you're able to configure it to receive news from you know anyone who's an RSS provider what they and to collectively this thing is called car wings is the service well what Nissan never discloses and has no way of allowing their users to disable, although I imagine there'll be an update coming soon, is that every RSS query, which is a standard HTTP GET query, and we've talked about how GET queries can have headers, the headers are just chock full of information that drivers may not want sent because the RSS feeds are, are constantly... Are, are is sort of a constant background polling for any news. With that, your current latitude and longitude is sent. Your car speed and compass direction is sent, as well as the destination latitude and longitude configured into the navigation system. Now, to to mitigate that concern, there it does not appear to be any unique car information. So it doesn't look like. You, you individually are identified, but, you know, anyone – and I could see it as a benefit if it was optional where, for example, you might get location-based weather. So if you were – if you wanted, you know, weather updates, it would know where you were and the weather service could check to see what was going on near you or, you know, regional news and so forth. Um, yet it ought to be disclosed and it ought to be something that you're able to suppress, which currently is not available. Um, on the leaf. So it's like, okay, well, these are lessons we're still apparently learning. Um, in attacks and breaches, we've got uh, a widely publicized and I guess significant breach of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Um, little is known still about about what exactly happened. It appears that attackers were able to get software on a computer that was persistent for some length of time, um, which allowed them to access the IMF's network and reportedly um, exfiltrate a large amount of data. It's believed that a this was preceded by a targeted spear phishing campaign. Um, and Bloomberg reported that the attack appears to have been mounted by a foreign government, although no specific country was named. Um, and Bloomberg's unnamed source also stated that the IMF lost, quote, a large quantity of data. And the bad news is that much of the, that data is extremely sensitive, dealing with the internal financial state of various countries' economies and the state of their negotiations with the uh, International Monetary Fund. So That's sensi- sensitive stuff got yeah. loose um, in, uh, in a big breach. Uh, also, City C I T I, as in Citibank, but Citicorp, um, disclosed that earlier last month, people are a little upset that it took City so long to tell us. Uh, as many as two hundred and ten thousand 
customer names, email addresses, and account numbers, uh, in, and, and, and contact details were lost. But Citi said that the, uh, the, the associated PINs, the, uh, the, the uh, PINs, and the card security codes, um, and other data aside from names, email addresses, and account numbers were, were existed on different systems and were apparently not breached. Um, not much is known about the attack, but I did read one report which indicated that the, the hackers were manipulating the URL of, like, while logged in, the, as if to say, and one, one account did say, that the actual account numbers were in the URL query. So just by changing the queries, they were able to get into other people's accounts, which sounds really screwy. Oh, but that's wrong. You know, really wrong. Jeez. And, and people, people apparently in the know are saying that Citi's security was virtually non-existent. So it does sort of sound like it may have been, you know, that dumb. And we've wow. talked about the, the, the dangers of putting sensitive information in URLs because remember that any third parties that were presenting information on Citi's site receive that URL as, 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 as in the so-called referrer field. So uh, we'll know when we're talking a little bit uh, later about Ghostry. If you go to city.com, Leo, Ghostry will show you all the third parties which are, are putting content on that site. And if they're also putting content or trackers on the sites where those account numbers occur, they would be receiving the account numbers of the users in addition to their IP addresses and so forth. And they're all about in, uh, aggregating information. So really, you don't want to leak account numbers in URLs. That's, that's, there's all kinds of bad things that can happen. I mean, as like second and third order effects from that. One of the, it's, it, it's actually listed as one from uh, OWASP.org, one of the top 10 uh, insecurities on the web. I mean, it's like well-known yeah, it's, it's it's an easy to fix, and it's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, and we just we just keep seeing, uh, you know, over and over instances of of you know very lack security, and I, I'm hoping that enough attention is being brought to this. Uh, as I've said before, that people will start fixing this stuff preemptively. I mean, that instead of it just Getting on the web and everyone screams with joy that it's working. Yeah, but is it working securely is the question. Uh, and the U.S. Senate.gov server was breached. Um, they have said that only the only that one server was breached and it only contained content for public consumption. So no sensitive information got loose, but it was... Um, uh, the um, Lulz Sec Group, which have claimed responsibility for many of the Sony breaches and Nintendo and the PBS breach recently, were the same folks who did this one. So those guys are getting around. And I've, I've actually seen some interesting commentary where security researchers saying, yeah, well, we think it's really bad that these guys are so successful in breaching sites. On the other hand, this is what's giving companies a wake-up call that you know they may be, be they may be next and so you know fix yourself before you suffer a big black eye 
from from you know having a, a, an outfit like this Lulzsec uh, breach your company. And I picked up on a piece of news following up from two years ago, a report that we discussed. Actually, maybe three years ago. Um, no, two. Um, this was uh, I, I saw both Sands and Brian Krebs reported. Our listeners may remember. We talked about in May 2009 in Sanford, Maine, a company called Patco Construction filed um, – oh, they, they had uh, cyber thieves, as they called it, used the Zeus Trojan to steal their online banking credentials. And, and this is known. This was reported two years ago. In fact, we talked about it and transferred – $588,000 in batches of fraudulent ACH, the automated clearinghouse transactions, over the course of a week, over seven days. So Patco sued their bank, claiming that the bank's security was not was insufficient for uh, for you know for their customers protection in the weeks that followed that original breach uh, the ocean bank which is the bank that was sued was able to recover two two hundred and forty three thousand out of that five hundred eighty eight thousand dollars but that still left three hundred forty five thousand that patco ended up bearing the loss for so this is significant today because just recently a magistrate in Maine, recommended that the court make Patco the loser in this suit by denying Patco's motion for summary judgment and granting the bank's motion that the case be dismissed. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's believed to be unlikely that the judge in the case will overturn the magistrate's findings. So here we have a case where, I mean, with a lot of money involved, where a company ha- is being, you know, who, who, who suffered a breach as a consequence of a Trojan that was in their machine, captured their online banking credentials, which is username and password, and actually even a security question. Um, I dug into this a little bit deeper, and it turns out that what happened was um, Patco, I'm sorry, the, the, the bank, Ocean Bank, used to have a, um, a system in place where for transfers over $100,000, one of three security questions was asked. And it was by having that in place that the bank was was able to say they had multi-factor authentication. Well, what happened was they were having so much problem with, with much smaller um, transfers that they dropped that $100,000 limit to $1. So almost all transactions, well, virtually all transactions, uh, anything at a dollar or above would be asked a challenge question. So what that, of course, meant was that the challenge question was being asked all the time. So this Zeus Trojan was able to capture the questions and the responses from much smaller payroll transactions that this Patco construction was doing and and then be able to log on on behalf of Patco Construction. So the result of all this is that the bank is not being held liable, and 
there is zero case law until now. And what the case law we have is that if if a company gets hacked in a way like this, even a username and password and additional uh, protection, um, which ends up being breached, is the fault of the customer, not the bank. So I wanted to use this opportunity to reiterate what I have said a couple times, which is if you if you're a small business or even an, an individual and you do not need to be doing electronic funds transfer with some of your accounts or any of your accounts, disable them. You can tell your bank you want to disable that feature. And I have on all of ours. And, you know, Sue, my operations gal, is forced to walk checks around, but there's just no way I'm going to allow, you know, this kind of a breach to, you know, drain uh, GRC's money out of us. And then for the for the, for there to be no recourse, that money is gone. And if it can't be recaptured electronically, which, you know, in this case, some of it was, um, it's it's my loss. So my feeling is, sorry about that. This technology, we just don't have enough security yet today to make this kind of, you know, major account access available electronically for it to be safe. So we're we're still using paper. And if the bank then makes a mistake and does honor a, a, a charge when we have explicitly told them not to, then they absolutely are liable for it. So that's where I want the responsibility to be. Um, there was an interesting, uh, in our miscellany uh, section, an interesting uh, survey of iPhone passcodes. We've been talking about passwords recently, so I thought users would get a kick out of knowing that the number one most popular passcode used on iPhones, you probably can't guess it, Leo, or maybe you probably can. Actually, monkey? You, you, you <laughs> could <get a> monkey. <laughs> uh, these, of course, have to be numeric because the iPhone has oh, a numeric yeah. keypad. So the number one passcode is 1234. I could have that's told you what, that. That's what people use to protect their phones. Yeah. And number two is 0000. zero, zero, zero. Uh, then for some reason comes 2580. And I'm not sure why. I looked at my at the keypad. It's like 258. Well, it's, like, it's up the center and then down to the bottom. Huh. So, yeah. So it's 258 are, you know, directly vertical and then down to the bottom. The... the um, the fourth most popular is all ones, one, 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 one. Then comes all fives, five, 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 five. Then five, six, eight, three. I'm not sure what, let's see, five, six, eight. That's a kind of a strange thing. I don't know, but a lot of people use five, six, eight, three. Then oh, eight, five, two. It spells then, love, somebody said. Ah. Uh, is that true? <laughs> five, six, eight, three on a, on, a tip, on a phone pad. I don't have one near me. <laughs> don't you have that memorized? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, darn. Apparently somebody on my staff does. I'll I'll bet that's the case. And okay, how about 0852? 0852, what's that? O doesn't have anything. That's just operator. Huh. Is it going up? Yeah, it's going up. It's going up. It's going up. So see, if you look at it, that's the key. If you look at it, 2580 is going straight down the middle and 0852 is going straight up the middle. Uh, Okay. That's why. Okay. And then we got 2222. One two one two and nineteen ninety eight, and it was interesting. They did a breakdown of the nineteen hundreds. Um, funny, and it looks like people are using based on demographics, and we the expected demographics of iPhone owners. They're using like their graduation dates or maybe their birth dates 
or maybe the, the current year, and it just happens to be that you know it's that's the one that's been around the longest, right? Well, no, because we haven't have Oh, wait a minute, iPhones. Nineteen You're right. It would be two thousand seven yeah. that it came out. Yeah, so, but, so there's a huge peak in, in like in the late nineteen twenty two year olds. There are predominance of twenty two year olds or twenty three year olds on it's iPhones. Probably, <laughs> probably year of birth. Yep. And then there's been some news about Bitcoin, which I wanted to share just because it's sort of interesting to, to see what's going on with Bitcoin. Um, the largest Bitcoin holder has or had, well, I'm not, not sure because there was a break-in. Someone lost their Bitcoin. You and I were talking about it before we right. began recording the, the, the podcast. Um, I heard that it was half a million dollars worth. I don't know when that was because Bitcoin... Um, Currency exchange rates have been fluctuating a lot lately, um, but the largest Bitcoin holder has 297,000 Bitcoins. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of Bitcoins. I mean, at what, 20 bucks a pop? $31 last oh. week. $9.2 million <gasps> worth of Bitcoins. If you, if you could find somebody to take, who would buy so, it. Well, but there's an active uh, brokerage. Now, this, yeah, but this I doubt mount- you could unload 200,000 Bitcoins on it. Well, this, okay, here, here's some stats. The MountGox.com exchange, which is the largest Bitcoin exchange, has been charging 0.65% for, as, as a brokerage fee. A few months ago, that was only minting it pennies a day. Last Wednesday... It was making $40,000 a day. What? That's, there's that much Bitcoin transaction. In one day, $2 million of Bitcoins were traded in 5,871 transactions. That's so surprising. This is really going on. Now, what did happen was that last Friday, Bitcoin suffered its first depression. It was called Black Bitcoin Friday. At the opening of the day, Bitcoins were trading at $28.91. By midday, that had dropped to $20.01, a drop of 30.8% in over half the course of half a day. And I have to say, I mean, I talked about it last week. We noted that... I have 50 bitcoins, and at $30 each, that was 1500 bucks. And I was tempted to say, huh, uh, maybe now would be a good time to cash in my 50 bitcoins. Well, apparently I wasn't the only one to think so. I did not cash them in. I still own those 50 bitcoins because it would be kind of fun to see what happens. Uh, but many people must have decided that, whoa, 30 bucks a bitcoin? I'm, I'm taking my money out of this. And so, of course, the consequence was it drove the price down uh, over the course of a day. Um, so it'll be fun to see where it goes in the future. But um, it's, I mean, it really is happening, Leo. I mean, uh, money is serious Mount Gox, it's currently around. 19 bucks, I think. Okay. So and you should have sold. <laughs> I, had not, I had not, well, who knows where it's going to go. Yeah. We'll it, see. But this shows how much speculation is going on. The well, are- speculation and trading. I mean, people, if you're, if you're trading $2 million a day and, and nearly 6,000 transactions, I mean, there's actual money that is being exchanged anonymously as it was designed to be through Bitcoin. Yeah, I think it's when it's this volatile. I have a feeling that's, uh, 
that's a sign of speculation. Of course, as soon as it hit the, the, the low on Black Friday, it peaked up almost to its all-time high as people bought them up. Bought them up again, yeah. And there was a, sell, a minor sell-off, back up, a bigger sell-off, back up, and now it's kind of stabilized right around 20. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so the most controversial spinrite testimonial we've ever had. Um, uh, I think <laughs> I'm going to leave this anonymous. Okay. Um, because he didn't ask me to, but I think I should. So the subject was Spinrite rescues some pictures and a question of etiquette. Um, this was uh, sent from Daventry, England uh, on the 27th of May. He said, hello, I'm a regular Security Now listener and I'd like to share this story with you. I'm always on the lookout for broken computer parts. When a friend's laptop broke down, he asked me if I wanted it, which I did. In the conversation, he told me he was a little depressed as there were lots of unbacked up photos on the laptop. He had done everything, in quotes, to try to rescue the files, but he had lost all hope of recovering them. Well, we know where this is headed. I wondered if everything included Spinrite, but decided against asking as I didn't want to depress him or get his hopes up. Instead, I, I gave the laptop to a friend, a fellow Security Now listener, and asked him to try his copy of Spinrite on it. Next day, he reported that it worked, but warned that the disk was not long for this world and I should make a backup while I still can, which, of course, is one of the things that Spinrite will tell you. Buzzed for a chance to be the hero, I booted the laptop up and prepared to copy the files onto a USB hard disk. Not knowing where his pictures were, I browsed into the My Pictures folder and found myself looking at some very <clears throat> pornographic pictures of my friend and his wife. I quickly made a copy <laughs> of the files. Yeah, close your eyes and move on. Uh-huh. Slightly embarrassed at what I saw, he must have been really convinced the contents were gone for good. No kidding. Now, I'm not sure what to do. He didn't ask me to recover the files, but I know he really wants the pictures back. I guess those he can make some more, but probably other pictures too. If I give him a copy, he'd know I must have seen them. Any advice? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, so, <laughs> I that's, think that's, that's one for the social hour. <laughs> that's a tricky one. <laughs> Dan Savage, maybe. Uh, so, boy, I don't know. That's a really interesting question, isn't that? Spinrite, it's an ethical dilemma. Spinrite yeah. recovered the pictures, which were believed to be long gone, and ooh. And it worked too well. well yeah, there was a reason that drive was overheating. <laughs> hey, Steve, we're going to take a break, come back, talk about ghostry. But I also wanted to point out, and we'll talk more about this on our next show this week in Google, that right now there is a lunar eclipse going on in the southern hemisphere. And if you go to Google.com, you'll see the Google Doodle in real time is showing you the state of the eclipse. Isn't that awesome? Oh, that's it's too cool. It's almost total. It'll be total in just a little bit. There's also uh, on Google, a uh, on YouTube, a live video at uh, youtube.com uh, slash Google. Uh, they're broadcasting a live video for those of us not in South America or the west coast of Australia or areas thereabouts, and it's almost total now. That's a live video we're watching of the lunar eclipse going on. 
That's kind of cool. So that's it? actually a video that we're. You, you all think they just mocked it up? With well, like a, no, 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 no. This, that, yeah, don't. I'm showing two different things. One is an oh. HTML5 mockup. Oh. This is a video from Google. Um, but it's interesting because when you do look at the Google, this is at YouTube, uh, Google's uh, live channel. But when you, it is interesting that when you look at the Google Doodle, uh, it's it's exactly the same. I wonder if they're mm-hmm. pulling. I bet you they're pulling stills from that uh, live video and and sticking it in there in some automated fashion. I love this slider too because you can, you can, yeah, you can go back in time. Yeah, you, you know you, what? You, you, that does look like maybe. Well, maybe it's a video. I don't know. I think that is. It's. I think. That, I think those are stills because you could see that the uh, the the quality of the moon is actually changing a little bit there. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Hey, I want to take a break and to talk a little bit about our friends at MailRoute. We haven't mentioned them in a while. I don't want them to uh, fall off the radar here. This is uh, the company that I use to fight spam. Anybody who has a, 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 a mail server has to deal with this. You know, if you're using Gmail or Yahoo Mail or whatever, you can trust them to do this anti-spam. Uh, although I use both and I and actually like using both. It's kind of part of my full spam fighting strategy, strategy which is so, so effective. Um, my idea is that you want an anti-spam solution that is keeping it off your server. So if you're doing local spam filtering using software or you're letting your ISP do it, all that spam is still hitting you. So what I do is I change my MX record to point to mail route. Mail route so the mail comes to my server, but doesn't hit it. It bounces over to MailRoute. Basically, my DNS says, send it to MailRoute first. Then MailRoute sends it back to my server after cleaning it. And uh, this is so effective that last year, in the last 12 months, MailRoute killed about 97% of my mail. That's almost a million messages that I never saw because they were spam. And I love that. If you want to find out more about MailRoute, uh, accounts, small business accounts start at $2 per user per month for 10, to 10 users. Uh, and if you're going to MailRoute.info, he'll know you're a Twit listener, my good friend Tom Johnson, and you'll give you a 10% discount forever for the life of your account. And, be, and due to demand from the Twit Army, MailRoute is now adding additional service for individual users at $30 per user per year. But you can find out all about it. Tom Merritt's been using it very happy, happily on Subbrilliant. Uh, I'm using it on leoville.com. You know why I like it is because uh, I, I, I use Leoville for my whole family. My wife, my kids, my mom, all have Leo, my sister, all have Leoville addresses. And they never see the spam. They don't even know what's happening. It's just great. And then I, my personal mail goes then to Gmail, which further cleans it up. I, I haven't seen a spam message in a long, long time. I, I, the false, po- false positive rate is so low that uh, I don't even bother checking the spam store anymore. But, of course, you can I want you to try it today. MailRoute.info, especially if you are in charge of a server, a larger server, and you've got to deal with this mail. This is the spam. This is the way to do it. All right, Steve, we are ready to get underway here with Ghostery. I have installed it, and I'm going to sites and shocked. Well, I'm really impressed with it. It's a it's a free add-on for... IE, Firefox, Safari, and Chrome. So all the major browsers on all the major platforms. I used it over on a on a MacBook Air uh, yesterday and on my PC um, today. Um, and what it does is it is watching the web pages that are watching us, and in a in a very innocuous sort of just sort of oh by the way 
um, fashion shows users who visit sites what third parties are tracking them. So, if, for example, I go to msnbc.com, and in the upper right-hand corner of my browser window, and that's user-configurable, you're able to change how long the window stays there. You, if you click it, it disappears immediately. Also, where it pops up. So there's, there's plenty of, of configuration settings. But msnbc.com, um, if I hover over the, um, the toolbar tool, it says seven trackers found on this page and seven blocked. And then it lists them. Double click, double click spotlight. Yeah, because double click had, didn't have, have me in enough of a spotlight already. Uh, so we got second, double click spotlight. These are ad it, trackers. Yep. Inside Express, Microsoft Atlas, MSN Ads, Omniture, and Pulse 360. Hmm. Now, what I like about this, I, well, I like everything about it. I'm, I'm, I recommend it for anyone who's curious. I mean, even just, you know, run it for a while just to sort of see what's going on. It's just, it's, it's a really innocuous. And the, the blocking is optional, but if people want to use it for tracking blocking, uh, you absolutely can. When you install it, it, it asks you three questions. It asks you if you want to enable ghost rank, which is disabled by default, that is so that's opt-in, and it explains that enabling ghost rank will allow you to anonymously participate in an information gathering panel designed to improve ghostry performance and create a consensus of advertisements, tracking beacons, and other page scripts across the web. The data collected is used only in aggregate, contains no personally identifiable information, and will never be used to target advertising. Now, one I did enable it. And one reason I did is it's one of the things that they'll show you, and I'll explain where here in, in a second, is, for example, what sites have these particular trackers. So, for example, you're able to drill down and say, okay, what's Omniture? And get a really nice, very even-handed description of all of these things. And you can get that by, by clicking on the, the toolbar button. And then it'll relist for you everything that it found. And from there, there's submenus where you're able to, to go in and bring up a page from Ghostery's own directory that explains in very good detail you know, what's going on, what, 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 what the company does, what their policies are, what information that they, it is that they collect, and so on. So, and, and on that page, it also shows, for example, here's a bunch of the sites which have this. Well, the only way they know that a bunch of these sites have it is if the users of this product allow their browser just to send that information anonymously back to the ghostry folks. So anyway, I turned it on. Um, and so th this continues to say, when you encounter a script and have ghost rank enabled, Ghostry sends a record that includes the following. The page elements identified by Ghostry, the elements blocked by Ghostry, the number of times the element has been identified, domains identified as serving those elements, advertisements served at particular domains, including companies associated with each ad, the information about the ad about the type of notice associated with each ad, the browser in which Ghostry has been installed, and the Ghostry version number. So that's something you do not have to do, but if you do, it, it increases the accuracy of their database. 
Um, so I like the fact that it was opt-in. The next feature after you select that uh, enables an alert bubble, as they call it. It's just it's that little window that I talked about, which pops up, which I enabled. You can, Again, you can disable it later. You can change how long it stays up. Um, and I think it's defaults to 10 seconds or maybe 15 by default. So, it's, you know, you're able to just sort of glance at it. And if nothing else, you can see how long it is quickly because some sites only have a couple. Some look like a dictionary of every nightmare that you ever saw. Um, and then you can, they, have, they, they maintain this notion of web bugs, which are all the little, you know, very, either ads or tracking beacons or bugs. And when I installed it, there were initially, it knew of 518 different companies who were, that they had encountered, who were installing these on my machine. And out of that 518, um, 345 also were planting cookies on my machine. So not all, but certainly the majority. It's really I, nice to have that information. I mean, it, it, but what you'll find immediately is that many, many, many sites have this stuff on there. I was just looking at twit.tv because I didn't know what we use, and we, we only use one thing, a little add this button. Yes, um, I did see that. I, I went to twit.tv also and, and yeah. saw that. And yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it's sitting there on the side. It's not in your face. I mean, it it does it does proactively block and in fact, in um, in one of their early blog postings, a, a a user asked the question: Does Ghostry stop the tracking process? And I really liked their response. They said, "It's an option, but most of our users like to allow some page elements and disallow others. Right. The free content on the internet is paid for largely by advertising, and data collection is part of that. We don't want to deprive publications or advertisers of their revenue." That would be bad for the content on the web. But we do want our users to know who is collecting their data and control it wherever possible. How much data collection a person will tolerate is up to them. It's a, their own subjective decision. Yes. And we would, ne we would never try and make that on, on behalf of others. So, so this is very comprehensive. Um, for example, in, in, uh, I went to their own blogging service. Uh, that they use a, a third-party blog. And I thought, well, who's, you know, and, and when, I, when I went to that page, up came my, the little balloon window that had three entries. It had Facebook social plugins. Um, it had something called New Relic and then Twitter button. And so I'm able to explore into those by using the toolbar. And I, sh I should remind people that that isn't made visible. The toolbar button is not made visible automatically at least in firefox i had to right click on the toolbar and then bring up and then hit customize and then drag the little ghost it's a little ghost icon it looks a little little like a blue casper up onto the toolbar um and it's it's a it has a nice presentation on, under safari and firefox on the mac and the button can even though the little balloon goes away there's a little sort of highlighted number on the button to sort of remind you, you can just look, and I remember seeing a seven when I was on MSNBC because there were a total of seven different things that were tracking me on MSNBC. So you're able to, by, by company, you can enable or disable all of those cookies and tracking, and then separately, you're able to whitelist individual domains that where you want to allow 
all of that to go on. Now, the one caveat for people who are NoScript users is that many sites use their scripting in order to in order to bring their third-party trackers onto the page. So if you are already blocking a page with NoScript, then NoScript has prevented the tracking activity and Ghostry won't see it. So, so I, I found that sites I'm not trusting, Ghostry um, will see some things. If I then deliberately trust them, Ghostry will see more, meaning that the scripts which I'm then allowing to run are responsible for exposing these, these additional trackers. So there is some interaction between NoScript and Ghostry. Um, but, you know, I, I, overall, I just think it's a great little app. I, I played with it for a while. I poked around. Um, I'm going to run with it now on my browsers. Just, I mean, I know there are people who just wouldn't be into this at all. They don't, you know, they're, they're just going to use the web and, and not worry about it. There are... There's another class of people who might want to be informed but not block and because it's just sort of additional additional information and it's the kind of thing you might want to use for a couple months and then you know decide okay I now I have a I have an intuitive sense for how much of this is going around or there are certainly another class of people that like the idea of just flatly blocking everything even on sites that they trust with no script. So that's one way that these two work nicely together on, you know, I'm, I, I have, I normally am trusting msnbc.com. I've got that permanently allowed in no script, which is why I'm seeing all seven of these things come up and track me, but I want to block the tracking. Thank you very much. So Ghostry allows me to do that. So I think it's just an across the board, cool little add on for our browsers, multi-platform, multi-browser, um, it's out of the way. You can un- uninstall it later if you get tired of the information, or you can not have. You can leave the tracking enabled and disable the pop-up balloon, and then all you get is the little number in on the little Casper ghost on your toolbar. If you've got, if you decided to have the button there, um, but it can also operate as a completely invisible blocker of all of these web bugs. You know, five hundred and. 20 or 557 of them at last count. What's the what, and, what page is the most that you've ever seen? Um I think MSNBC might be up there. Oh, I what's can beat di- that. <laughs> what what's disney.com look like? Yeah, I just went to a, a non-profit site. I was looking up a, a Senate bill we're going to talk about on uh, Twig this week. It has 17 <laughs> of track.us which is a great site has 17 yeah. on there. So uh, yeah, that's a good question. Let's see what Disney Disney has. You know, I, I think what you might surprise you is that, and this is probably why it's fun to just browse around with this turned on for a while, yeah. just to see what you can see, is that you may be surprised by uh, the number of things that uh, um, sites you wouldn't expect. Wikipedia, as far as I could tell, had none, which was yep, good. I did go to Wikipedia, and it was a big zero, yeah. which is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, and you think it's be- so there? So that site is pulling revenue from from not those necessarily. 17. I mean, uh, a, a number of these, Comscore, Beacon, Google Analytics, Quantcast yeah. are merely measurements. They want to see and Google traffic. Analytics. By the way, is all over the place. I had a hard time finding a site that didn't have Google well, and, Analytics, and we on use it. that. Um, yeah. f- Facebook Connect is designed to make it easier to log in, um, but in there and then there are a lo- number of ad networks. You know, it's interesting. Disney only seems to have two. Huh? Microsoft Atlas 
I see that a lot too. What the heck is that? Well, I wonder if that's a. It's an ad center, so it's another. It's a Microsoft okay. uh, ad system. Okay. You're going to see a lot of these. I mean, let's face it: the the internet is free, and uh, that's uh, how often how you pay for a site. Well, but, again, it, it's one thing to see the ads, and another and another thing to have information sent back. And this, the ghostry does follow up. I mean, if if you like, click on like Omniture and dig down, it'll say. This is the information that they're collecting, and it'll ha- it'll give you a link to their privacy policy. I mean, right. so it really allows you to do some research uh, beyond just you know enumerating how many things have been loaded on there to to follow you around the internet. Happy to say, EFF.org, which you would think would not have a lot of privacy intrusions, has zero. Nice. Uh, that's how it should be. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, you get to be the judge. That's the point. This is information yes. that you can use. Uh, and you should use uh, and be 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 aware. Of. I think it's very nice browser instrumentation that can be used to block, to inform, uh, to entertain, um, and also to to educate a lot. Because I mean, there's no doubt that users, our listeners, are going to be interested in this, are going to install it, and are going to spend some time digging down, saying, well, "What the heck is this company?" Right. You know, Pulse three sixty. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then decide, yes, I like that or no, let's let's keep it on the block list because you can you, you can t- tailor this exactly the way you want to also. People are asking about live.twit.tv. We have uh, three trackers on there and all of them are uh, used to, actually, I don't know why we have AdWords on there. I don't think we use AdWords, but we do have Google Analytics and Quantcast on there. And those are, those are I think, Chartbeats on there too. Those well, are, so that's kind of cool too because now that reminded you that maybe you should remove the yeah, AdWords. Why is AdWords script? on there? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we use that. Maybe that comes with analytics. I don't know. Uh, and we use Quantcast. And I thought Chartbeat was on here as well, which is another uh, monitoring service because it's a way we have of yeah. There's Chartbeat. It's a way we have of. <laughs> there's that little. There's Chartbeat. Bug. Actually, that's all we have is Chartbeat, Google Analytics, and Quantcast. Those are the three that are on there. And that's all traffic measurement. Now, they some of them do leak information. Um, you know, some of them don't have a policy about that. And so that's maybe this will also stimulate people to uh, update their policies. So that, that would way, be great. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I like this plugin. Steve, we're uh, we're done, I guess. I gather. We're done. A great show as always. If you want to know more about all of these topics, the place to go is Steve's website grc.com that's where you'll find of course a copy of the great spinwright the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility you'll also find lots of freebies that steve gives away and a place to uh, ask questions of steve that we use on the uh, every other show in fact next week is a feedback show so grc.com slash feedback for that um, also his password haystacks article from last week that's that was great so two weeks ago that was great stuff um Show notes, 16 kilobit versions, full transcripts of all 305 shows. It's all there, grc.com. We do the show every Wednesday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 1800 UTC at live.twit.tv. And you can watch us live or you can get the show after the fact at Steve's site or twit.tv slash sn. Uh, Steve's on Twitter, sggrc. That's the place to go. And don't forget, we are still selling bricks in fact, the, we're getting close. I think we're about a month off from uh, moving into the new studios. And if you want to have a brick on the wall with your name, your Twitter handle, your Facebook handle, or whatever, just go to bricks.twit.tv. That wall of honor is looking so cool. I'm just, I'm uh, literally, the honor's all mine. It's really amazing. Uh, bricks.twit.tv. Did you get one, Phil? 
He wants to buy one. All right, he's giving me a credit card. I can't take credit cards, but we'll we'll <laughs> we'll figure that out. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it, and we will be back next week, same time, same channel for more security news. On security Thanks, Leo. Now. Bye-bye. Security now.